Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. It says, immediately he made his disciples. Who made his disciples? Jesus made his disciples, note this, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethesda or Bethsaida. Depends on who's, who's talking, whether you're Southern or not. Bethesda, say Bethesda. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land. Then he saw them, his disciples, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. I, I love this. And he would have passed them by. Just stare at that for a moment. And he would have passed them by. Why would he have passed them by? And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I. I want you to look at somebody right now and say, I don't know what it is that you're going through. Look at somebody else and say, I don't know what you're going through. But the Lord is with you in that storm. Amen. And how many people believe that? He said, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he went up into the boat to them. And the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. And they marveled. And I want you to note this other phrase that he uses before we go to the next scripture. Last verse. For they had, it just seems like such an abstract verse. For they had not understood the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Such an abstract scripture. Like it doesn't even look like it belongs there. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now John chapter 6, and I'll let you sit down in just a moment. John chapter 6 verse 15. It says, therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went toward, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Capernaum in the Hebrew means comfort, a place of comfort. Say comfort. So he went, they went towards comfort. They, went, they were trying to go to comfort, but they had to go to a storm in order to get there. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. And he said to them, it is I, there it goes again, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately, the boat, watch this, 
immediately the boat. Everybody say, immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Amen. You may have your seats. I know I often tell everybody that I'm an Orlando native. I've been here my whole life. I was born in the Florida hospital right there in Winter Park. Was it, Mom? Winter Park. So not too far from here. Um, so I was born and raised. Do I have any other natives to Orlando in here? Just my sibling. Native, native, native. You're native to Orlando as well? You are as well? Hallelujah. We're like the last of the Mohicans. Like there's not many of us. Where'd y'all all come from? Yeah. So much has changed here. I remember when Pine Hills was a dirt road, high Wassie. I mean, it was all orange groves. It's really when it really used to look like Orange County. Everywhere you would go, dirt roads, main roads. So much has changed. But one thing I can remember as a kid is one specific thing. You know, we had a we didn't have the we had a great mother who loved us and took care of us. You know, our father wasn't around, but one thing I do remember is always going to the water. That's where we always spent time. I know all the little springs here, you know. Some of you guys went to the St. John's River with me. I know where all the little spring hot spots are and where I, can, I could take you where all the little Florida touches are, even sinkholes that still exist here at Kelly Springs or Rock Springs, Wakiva Springs. We also grew up going to the beach a whole lot. I don't like the ocean. I love being at the beach, but I just don't like the mess of the beach, right? Like you're all the sand. Matt probably told her the same thing. Yeah, that's what that means. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the water, but once I get out of it, I'm like rinsing everything off. You have the bottle of water, stick your feet outside of the car, rinsing your feet with freezing cold water. Does anybody do that? That's why, is that why you're laughing? It's just a mess and such a process. I, I still love it though. I love going to the beach. I mean, there's nothing better to me than going to the west side. The west coast beaches are my favorite places to go. Sanibel Island, um, Anna Maria Island, because it's where the white sand is. The Gulf, of, the Gulf area is the nicest because you have the white sand. And I like walking the beach just along the beach where the water comes up just enough to roll up over your feet and go back down, you know, when the tide is coming in and out. How many love to do that? I love to collect seashells with my, with my daughter or what are those um, sand dollars and stars and uh, scallops. That's what it is. Most of those shells that you see are actually scallops. And I just love doing that. I love when I go down there, I like to drive down the strip and look at all those houses, look at all those houses that I can't afford. You know, do you guys like doing that too? Some of you guys... It's like window shopping. Like, that would be me. I would, you know, I want to live there. I love to dream and claim stuff. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Believe and decree it. And I, I started thinking about how much some of those houses must cost because even little block houses are millions of dollars. You know, thousand square foot homes, million dollars. Some of those big extravagant homes, you, it starts to make you wonder what these people do for a living. And so there's a cost to live on the coast. And I started thinking about something that's much more costly living on the water is the risk factors that are there. 
I mean, like I said, I'm an Orlando native, so I remember back when we were in a really huge storm in Andrew. Now, many of you remember Charlie, what Charlie did, but you would probably remember this too, Vanessa, and you would as well, Dean. Uh, Hurricane Andrew was in 1992. Who remembers Hurricane Andrew? That was probably one of the worst storms we've had. It made Charlie look like a, a third cousin, like just nothing. And... Um, like a distant cousin. I remember being in my yard and I literally watched a um, storage shed be picked up over a house, brought out of the backyard and brought down the road. I remember my mother walking through the storm and hail being hit. I mean, we're talking about golf ball size hail and coming home with all kinds of knots. Do you remember that? Walking home in the hail storms. And so we've, we've grown up in Orlando to see all these crazy storms, but there are risk factors living on the water, especially we're in intercoastal area, right? We're like in the middle central or Florida where we're in Orlando, we're like in the middle, but to live on the ocean, there are much, much more risks. And I started thinking about how this is so true as it relates to our relationship with Jesus. And there is a cost to walking with him. There is a cost of experiencing his beauty and his closeness. There are risks involved with that. You know, many of us got saved coming to Jesus and we came to an altar because we wanted to be rescued from pain. We wanted to be rescued from heartache. We wanted to avoid some obstacles and you will look at somebody and say, you will. But there are risks walking with him. And I'm learning this. The closer that I'm getting to the Lord, I'm realizing that there are more risks than what I actually bargained for. But what he does is he says, yes, you can come closer, but it's going to cost you a little more. You see, because at first it was like, you didn't tell me you were going to ask me for this all up front. Am I, am I talking to anybody this morning? Like when you first got saved, it seemingly like he walked you through the tulips and there was that closeness and there was that love, that euphoric state. And there was that you would sing the Fred Hammond song. I'm not going to sing it. I'll let James sing it later. Just to be close to you. But then all of a sudden, he begins to take. But he doesn't take because he doesn't love. He takes so you can get closer. Right? And so I want to I talk, talk to you a little bit about that this morning. The price of being close. But there's a, there's a title I gave this message. Remember last week we talked about... He's going to throw a shoe at me. Remember we, we talked about last week, finding God's will. Like all of us are after God's will, I would hope. Anybody in the room who's after God's will in their life? How many are after God's will, really? So last week we talked about finding God's will, but, but I, wanna, I wanna teach a little bit on how to find it. And here's my sermon title this morning. When God's will is found in the wind. When God's will is found in the wind. See, many of you are resisting the wind not really realizing that if you were to, were to lean into the wind, it would get you where God is calling you to be. And so I started thinking as I was reading over this story, even this morning, why in the world is Jesus all-knowing? The Bible says that God is omniscient. Say omniscient. Omniscient or omniscience, if you break down the word and play with it a little bit, means all-knowing. Omniscience, omniscient means he's all-knowing. Say all-knowing. 
So note that Jesus normally in most circumstances would have got into the boat with the disciples and gone with them. But this time he doesn't go with them. He sends them away. And you know he sends them away and you know he's sending them into trouble because he's standing on the mountainside. Your Bible says it. I think mine is, says the same thing. It says he saw them straining at Rowan. So he sent them and then stands back and I would like to think that he was praying, but he was probably praying that they don't crack in the middle of the storm. Did the Bible say that? It says that he stood, he stood off and he watched them straining at rowing. So God knew that he was sending them and they were obeying the Lord. You ever obeyed the Lord and then trouble start? Don't get distracted. Have you ever obeyed Jesus and then got in the middle of something and started questioning yourself whether you obeyed or not? Like, like you obey and then trouble hits. Or you obey and then everything starts to go wrong. You ever wondered why God does that to us? He sends them in the middle of a storm out of, out of their obedience. Yeah, I've thought that way. Lord, I've done what you've called me to do. Why, would, why in the world would this happen? I've obeyed. I've got into this relationship. Come on, I'm going to make it practical. Why would it fall apart? I obeyed you in starting this venture and yet it's crumbling. I've obeyed you. You've told me to fulfill your will. Now I'm struggling in my health. Why in the world would you send me into something that's going to take lots and lots of strength, lots and lots of my attention, lots and lots of my power? And as I'm giving myself more and more to that, I just feel more and more distant from you. You ever wonder why God sends you in the middle of a storm? I'm going to tell you the first reason why Jesus sent these guys into the storm. Well, first of all, before I tell you that, note that they just experienced one of the greatest miracles ever that Jesus did. What did he do? The Bible says that he just fed 5,000 people, not including men and women. So if you really count it up and there was at least one wife there and one child, that would make it 15, how many people? 15,000 people. If most men were married, right? It says not including women and children. So there was probably around 10 to 15,000 people that just got fed with five loaves and two fish. So they experienced this great miracle. This is why you have to be careful when you experience a really high place in the Lord. Be careful with what happens right after. Don't let your guard down. Don't think that you've arrived. Because really, he will only allow you to experience mountain high experience, but that's usually genuinely, generally followed by difficulty right after. You know why? Because he wants to see if that miracle made your faith truly grow or if it was emotionalism. So he'll send generally a test right after the miracle. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? Do you notice how he did that? He will do something great in your life. And then right after that, I mean, right on the back end of it, he sends trouble. And one reason why he does this, I'm going to go through a few points. Are you ready for him? Is everybody okay this morning? He sends it first and foremost Winds, say winds. He sends you into windy situations, difficult situations, turbulent situations to purify your life. Yeah, because he's way more concerned with your character. Way more concerned with your character versus comfort. Do you see that the Bible says they were going to go to a place called comfort, but the first stop they had to make was in the middle of a storm? Because locations, listen, you can move all you want to and change. This might be too hard on you. There's a really nice church right down the road. They're much more conservative and gentle and won't tell you the truth about some things. But you can change proximity 
The Bible doesn't say things for nothing. You have to pay attention to what it says. Like they were going to go towards Capernaum. I'm like, what does Capernaum mean? Google. Hebrew. Oh, it means comfort. So they're going towards comfort, yet Jesus stops them in a storm. And why does he stop them right in the middle of a storm? Why? Because he wants to teach them how to get comfort in the middle of a storm. Because it's not a location. You think that if he, oh, I feel like preaching right now. You feel like if God does the miracle or he breaks through or gives you the financial breakthrough or he cleans up your kids or he does X, Y miracle or he heals you in your body, that is a mirage. Peace doesn't come from without. Peace comes from a person and that person is Jesus Christ. When he is resident and evident on the inside of your heart, it's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. So stop worrying about, I feel it, Holy Spirit. Stop getting your eyes on the place of comfort or Capernaum and get your eyes on Jesus. Can I tell you something? I have seen people who've learned to live in the middle of the storm more comfortable sleeping like Jesus did in the front of the stern of the boat on a pillow and they have much more of a successful relationship with Jesus and a strong relationship with Jesus versus that place called comfort because generally for the Christian, you know what comfort does? Causes people to drift. Causes people to get spiritually lazy. They forget the prayer closet. Their Bible begins to grow dust on it. They forgot who brought them up out of the miry pit and set their feet on a solid ground. He wants you to be at comfort here. It's not out here. You cannot... How many years have you been looking for the comfort out here? How many churches have you been to that you thought would fill the need? And this one's not going to fill it either. You just have to find a church where Jesus is and that's the place you'll find comfort. You can switch the job. You can switch the, God don't switch the spouse, but you can switch the spouse. You can do everything you can to do to find that place of comfort. But Jesus has allowed you to go through this storm to purify you, to show you that it's not an external issue. It's an internal one. Am I telling the truth this morning? When I think about the damaging effects that Andrew caused in Homestead, Florida, absolutely leveled Homestead, Florida. When I think about what Charlie did, was that 2011? Somewhere, oh, Lord Jesus, we're getting old. Was it really? Hallelujah. 2004, all those storms back to back, there was three of them, I believe. God, you want to know how God works? He works similarly with the ecosystem as he does with us. Did you know that? If you want to know God's ways, just look at how he works even in nature. With the natural fires, and we're like, oh, the whole world's going to burn because, you know, you got some Tennessee fires. No, 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 no. God will allow things to burn. He will allow things to, winds to come. You know why he allows winds to come? Because it removes dead branches. It cleans out the eco. It stirs up the water. Can you get me out of the can? It it stirs up the water and the ocean. And here's the whole goal. Have you ever heard of regenerate life? Who has a green thumb in here? Does anybody know what a green thumb is? It's a person who loves gardening and planting tomatoes and watering. I don't. I asked my wife if we wanted to make one in the back. She said, no, we're not green thumb people. No, I don't need something else to do with my busy schedule. James is a green thumb person. So if you, if, you, if you know anything about plants 
or agriculture, you know that in order to get a plant to regenerate life or to grow is you have to stunt its growth first. You have to cut it. Oh, you want me to preach Bible? John chapter 15. I have come to prune you that you might what? Come on. Bear more fruit. So cutting always creates more growth. Storms always remove the things that take up the room. And what happens to trees out there? My wife, I'm going to tell my wife for a minute. For like a week straight, I would pull up to the building and I said, what on earth are you doing? First of all, my wife has the cup that says I'm too pretty to sweat. Do you still own that cup? Okay, she threw it away. She finally heeded my counsel for once. She doesn't have it anymore, Rick. Rick's judging over there. I see him. I pull up onto the property, and um, she's pulling out all the moss. Now, all the trees out in the, we call it the Grand Lawn. I, I named it for you out there. It's called, I call it the Grand Lawn. And all that moss that was on there was causing those plants and that shrubbery to, that used to be beautiful and have flowers on it to die. And so I pulled up one day and I walked out there. I said, what in the world are you doing here? Why aren't you working in the office? She's usually here a few days a week. She said, the Lord spoke to me. I said, okay, keep talking. She said, yeah, I felt like, I felt like the Lord just wanted me to sit out here and pull these moths for several hours and just make this look a little better. She said, you know, as the Lord, if I'm out here sweating, I turned right around, I went into the office, and I started working. But then all of a sudden, over the next month or so, those things that were starting to brown, did you know that moss actually chokes the oxygen and keeps the plants from receiving oxygen? And they started to grow green and lush again. God works this way. So it is in the natural, so it also is in the spirit. And God will send winds in your life to purify things, not to hurt you or to make you distrust. Listen, I've seen the same wind that carries, that car thank you, Holy Spirit, that same wind, that same wind that took in Hurricane Andrew and picked up that storage shed and threw it like a golf ball down my street on Roger Babson is the same wind that if you lean into it just enough will get your boat going in the right direction. I've seen two different Christians, one that where the storm, come on, where the old backlash from the old church kill their spirit and kill their desire to serve, or I've seen relationships that are dysfunctional break them so much that they can't trust again or love again. I saw the same exact wind have opposite effects on two different Christians. Same wind, two different effects. That same wind that is out you think to destroy you is the very same wind that if you were to just Come on, say lean. Some of you from, from the hood say lean with it. Lean into that wind and allow it to carry you into where God has called you to be. The Holy Spirit is the wind. Most, there's many of you, there's many of you by the Spirit, I know it, that are bitter towards God and you're asking him to stop the wind. But the thing is, is you must have got amnesia because you forgot what you prayed last month. <laughs> oh, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. He will try you. No, I didn't mean it like that. He will, he will purify you to make you ready. And what he uses is winds 
tough situations, don't get too spiritual. You're like, yeah, I just want him to do it in my heart in the private, but you're mad because who he's using and what he's using and what the wind looks like. The boss. Am I talking to anybody this morning prophetically? I know this is a fun little sermon, but really, it's, it's, I believe it's by the Spirit that if you will not allow the wind to destroy, but to build up. The same fire that burned houses down, burnt my, our niece's house down, and thank God she got the cat out in Tennessee. Hurried up and got that. I mean, they, those fires rolled up over those mountaintops like nothing, like chaff burnt so many hundreds of houses, so much collateral damage, millions of dollars lost. Also, that same person who's up on a hill owns, what do they call it? Uh, a blacksmith has a home with, with, that he uses fire to purify things, to make certain you know, rings and swords and knives. So you can, you can look at the, the wind as a bad thing or you can look at the wind as a good thing. You can look at the fire as a good thing or a bad thing. It all depends on perspective. And that's what I'm asking the Lord this morning. Change my perspective on what I'm going through. Somebody ought to pray that for their own lives. Change my perspective because that thing can drive you down or bring you up. It can be the wind that blows you over and you suffer loss, or it could be the wind that carries you up higher and higher into what? A greater trust in Jesus, a greater reliance in Jesus. That wind can purify your life. I love, I don't want to go long. I'm already at 12 o'clock. Hallelujah. Oh. Can I be honest? Can I bear my heart with you? In a non-preachy way? You know, when most people meet me, they come along to the church. If I could only rewind 20 years and show you my disobedience and show you my mistakes, my, my, mother, my mother will tell you I was, God, she loved me. Thank God for praying mothers. I was, I was such a heathen. I remember I was so mean to her. She could probably cry right now, and I don't want to make her cry. I remember I was, so I didn't know how to, navigate my emotions when I was younger. Right now, like if you're, you come off on me and I get silent, that's my way of just, that's my way of getting angry now. I just get quiet. I won't get red or nothing. I just look at you and I walk away. Say, bless God. But I wasn't always that way. I remember, because I didn't know how to navigate my emotions. I had to be what, 12 years old, mom? We went on a three-day, that's why I like the outdoors, a three-day on the Suwannee River in a canoe, three days, and we camped as we went along. I, I, good childhood memories, but she remember, I scarred her that day because she was just in the process of where she just refused to, to can I tell them? She wanted to quit drinking alcohol because it broke me. I lost my dad, and my uncle was an alcoholic and all these things, and so I didn't want to catch up to everybody. There was about 300 people, and so I, my heart was pure. I didn't want her to drink. But what I would do is I, may, I wouldn't paddle so she couldn't catch up to him. And she cried, please paddle. She was physically crying, angry. I said, I'm not catching up to him because I know you're going to sin. I know you're going to drink. I know you're going to do And my mother just begged me. I mean, I was a heathen on drugs, drinking alcohol, running the streets. And it just, I lived a life of such disobedience, relational, bad choices as it relates to relationships and all the rest. And, and 
I, I didn't know how to respond to God's call. Like you ever, you ever have a godly desire but don't know how to like walk it out? You hurt people? Is anybody? I know you don't want to admit it like one person. The rest of you are lying. That's like 99%. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that purity in my life. So, so listen, I started making tons and tons of mistakes. So most people, when they meet me, they're like, you don't want to even let people on the worship team if they're doing this or that. I remember when I saw one guy throwing up a sign on Instagram. He was a person who's not, he's not here anymore, a great friend of mine. He did a gesture with his hand on Instagram. And so my friend Matt Gilman and I, we called him in. And I said, if I ever see you doing anything like that, I said, first of all, do you want to join the team? He said, yeah. I said, okay, good. Well, let's talk. I said, I ever see that again? I said, you represent, first of all, Christ, and you represent what we represent here. I ever see that again? That'll be the last time you lead worship on this platform ever just by your hand gesture because God calls us higher. But, but people see I'm really extreme now, but you want to know the only reason I'm extreme is because I know what disobedience produces. I know what it's like to get in a relationship that's not God. I know what it's like to not tell the truth fully and the damaging effects it can have on people. I know what it's like to not walk fully upright and what storms will do and what this storm was doing to the disciples was purifying them so that they would make better decisions in the next season of their life. Oh, you, you, watch what David says in Psalms 119. Watch this. Psalms 119, verse 67. Do we have that scripture? Remember the sweet psalmist who walked in obedience, who loved the Lord, who played with his wonderful harp and who combed the sheep, finally started making some really poor decisions. And when he started making some poor decisions, he learned something. He didn't just fall in love with God overnight and wanted to do God's will and walk up right no matter the cost. He made some bad decisions. He went through some heartache, his own heartache that was caused by his own hand. And here's what David says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And that was my life. Before I became the man I am today, I went astray. But I went through some things, caused myself some pain. But now, somebody say, but now. But now I keep your word. That's what winds do. It causes you to be purified. It causes you to rely on Jesus and not your own strength. It removes the dross of your own mistrust in the Lord. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? This is what winds do. Do you think he would have just put the story here because he wanted to tell you that there was a windstorm and Jesus sent him to Capernaum? No, 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 no. This story is for you and for you and for you. Put yourself in the story because I got a feeling there's many of you who are in the middle of that storm right now and you do not know how to interpret the wind. Well, I'm going to interpret the tongues for you this morning. God is on your side. He's watching how you respond. He's seeing, he's trying to get you to a place of comfort in here before he gets you to a physical place. Yes, he wants you to get to the promised land and you are going to get to the promised land, but let the promised land start in your heart before you physically get there. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. Number two, I'm going to speed right on through a little bit and try to wait on the Lord at the same time. Is it okay if I just take a couple more of your minutes? You're off on Monday anyway. <laughs> Number two, these winds, somebody, somebody just say this with me. Say, when God's will 
Come on, say, when God's will is found in the wind, I have determined that I'm going to find his will in the wind in my life. Come on, how many believe that? Number two, he comes. The wind comes. He sends you into that thing. It's very practical to test your faith. You would think that these guys seeing the miracle of the five loaves and two fish, you would think their faith would be on high. My pastor used to always say to me, Dean could say, what would he say? You're not as far as you what? You're never as far as you think you are. These guys just saw Jesus break five loaves and two fish and feed a multitude. I, I can almost assure you they went out on that water thinking, I've got this. I've got it handled now. I've experienced God in a miraculous way. You know how I know? Because Jesus is the one who let them distribute. Their, he broke it. They're the ones who got a handle on it and got to distri distribute the bread. Be careful when God uses you to never get arrogant. Because you are sure to go into a storm. And it will test you and show you who you really are. And reveal your character. And that's what God is trying to produce in us. So there's constant testing. Somebody told me, it was, he was a part of a denomination. I won't mention the denomination. He says, God doesn't test you. He was a teacher of the word. He said, I said, which version are you reading again? Because I, I mean, there's scripture after scripture that says the Lord tests us. Like tried by fire, that means testing. He sent the disciples into a testing moment he tests our hearts. He tests our motives. He sees why we call ourselves. He, he, he wants to know, not, he doesn't just want you to be a Christian. He wants to know why you are a Christian. Are you in it for the blessings? Or are you in it for proximity? Are you, are you in it so that you can have a nice home and a good family and ease, comfort, and pleasure? Or are you in it because you love the Lord? Like the Lord tests us. Mark chapter 6, verse 47 through 48. Watch what it says. Now when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and Jesus was alone on land. Watch this. Then he saw them straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were troubled. There are times in your life when God will lead you down a difficult path. And I'm talking about not just a difficult path. I'm talking about a difficult path that is of hurricane magnitude. <laughs> that was really strong, wasn't it? Like, look how I said that. A storm that it's where God seems like he's completely absent. And, he, and he's simply doing it to, to test the level of our faith and trust in him. It's because that's where our faith, if our faith grows in the midst of storm. It grows in the midst of trouble. Listen, comfort is not your friend. The guy who wants to win the NASCAR race, you know you're in a race. The Bible says we're in a race. The NASCAR pit is not to stay there. If a man stays in the NASCAR pit, he's not going to win his race. Comfort is only for moments. For the true child of God who's walking with Jesus, we need moments to breathe and, and decompress, yes, and to enjoy the Lord, yes, absolutely. But comfort 
oftentimes can produce spiritual laziness. Can I tell you my worst enemy? My worst enemy is comfort. That's why I'm always talking about warfare and stuff. The times that I've seen myself fall away from Jesus was not in turbulent times. I do really well in turbulent times. It's those times where nothing is going wrong. Where I get comfortable. Because in those places, you let your guard down. You stop praying. You put down your Bible. You begin to withdraw from the Lord. Do you know how many people I know whose lives were falling apart who started this church years ago? This church would be packed. We wouldn't have room in this church right now if everybody who came to this church stayed at the church. We wouldn't have it. But what happens is, is God comes and ministers to their life and does a miracle in their life. And what do they do? They drift. And then they make a full circle. And then they come back. God wants us to have this consistency in our lives of staying planted and staying watered so that when turbulent times come, we don't blow, get blown away by like every little wind and doctrine. We stay planted. Come on. So our roots don't wither. So our leaves remain green. So we stay plugged into the, into the things of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Number three. Number three is the wind creates a desperation in us. I want to harp on this just for a moment. It creates a desperation. Did you know desperation is a good thing? We've always thought of desperation as being a bad thing. It is a good thing. Can we talk about it for just a second? Mark chapter 6, 48 through 49. It says, he would have passed them by. Say, he would have. Can we put Mark chapter 6 up on the screen, 48 through 30, uh, 49? Both of those verses. And now, at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Say, he would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. I want you to underline that if you can in your spirit. Not in, you don't have to underline it in your Bible. Maybe you can highlight it. And they cried out. He would have passed them by. Watch this. Out of this whole text that I'm talking from right now, this one disturbs me out of all of them. Why would he put, why would the writer Mark say he would have passed them by? Have you wondered that? Why would he have, I mean, what had to have happened? What, what could they have done that would have caused them to pass by? And what is it that they did that caused him not to pass by? You ever thought about it? Say he would have passed them by. I believe that Jesus turned in because of their cry. He would have passed them by, fast forward, and they cried out. So watch this. You know why some people, I believe, stay in the midst of their seasons without little change? Is it because they keep straining and rowing in their own strength. And this is what keeps the Lord passing by. Okay, so let me make it a little bit more practical for you. My daughter the other day, She's, she's getting a little bit more independent. I got it, daddy. How many have kids or have had a kid that says, I got it, daddy. And like, I mean, they won't even let you touch them and buckle the seatbelt. Like, don't touch it. I, I mean, I get my hand slapped now. Don't, daddy. I, I've got it. And so the only thing I know to do is let and just watch from a little ways away. And then finally, when she gets through wrestling with twisting that belt buckle and she can't get it, then she finally, okay, help me. And then she rolls her eyes 
Is everybody hear what I'm saying? Like some of us are really, some of us do that as adults though with the Lord. Is we don't say it with our mouth, but we say we got it. And by us straining at the very thing that we're, you know, when you're trying to accomplish something and do something, sometimes that doesn't warrant the Holy Spirit to intervene on your behalf. It actually repels him. Sometimes when we're doing things in our own strength and striving at rowing, that's what, they, that's what the Bible says, they were straining at rowing. He would have passed them by if they kept working in their own strength. If they kept trying to make it happen in their own strength, he would have just, he would have passed them by. He would have passed the woman at the well by. Or excuse me, the woman with the issue of blood. Remember, it says, she said within herself, if I could but touch the hem of his garment. There were other people sitting there touching him, but she's the one who had a true cry and a true pursuit and a true desperate desire to touch him. Therefore, she got the miracle. So Jesus only stepped on the boat after they got desperate, not before. At first, they were straining at rowing, but when they seen Jesus, they cried out. And this is what we have to get good at. See, I know dad taught you to be suck it up, have it together. See, we've been taught by a generation, you might not cry, but I'm gonna tell you right, this right now. You, it's also, that has also taught us not to have a desperation in our heart for Jesus. And we're over here sitting wondering why he hasn't intervened in my life. But some of us refuse to put the paddle down. We refuse to stop straining because daddy taught you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. When God teaches us to rely on the Lord, to trust in the Lord with all thine heart, to lean not to your own understanding, to not rely on your own paddle, to not rely on your own wind, to not rely on your 401k, to not rely on your career. Come on, I'm going to keep saying it. To not rely on your own health, to not rely on the physician's to not rely on the government, to not rely on a man of God or a woman of God. Yes, we bless them and we say thank you, Jesus, for them, but we cannot rely on them. And I got, you know why David got God's attention so much? He was a good crier. He was, he, he learned to woo God's heart. And this is what cries do to the Lord is it draws the Holy Spirit. It doesn't repel him. Your independence repels the Holy Spirit. I get, I get really sketchy of people who are highly gifted and rely on the gifts. First thing they tell me, I'm gifted at this, I'm gifted at that. I don't want nothing to do with it until that settles down. Because you're going to affect the move of the Spirit in the meeting. You, you rely too much on self. Rely too much on the gift. You rely on getting yourself out of the storm. Come on, am I preaching to the right people? Do not rely on self. The anointing to get the job done will lift. And God, listen, he loves you, but he'll leave you just like that until you develop a cry. Because here's what he wants to know. God created creation to worship him. What is worship for? Worship comes out of, result, uh, out of a response of complete and utter dependence on something or someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ. And this is what causes the heart of God to move. Listen, for those of you who, are mature, who have matured out of becoming a desperate person for the Lord, I feel very bad for you. That's when Christianity gets hard. 
it gets cold, calculated, and very difficult. That's where God, yes, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You've probably thought about that scripture. He won't leave you. He'll give you distance. He'll let you try to work it out on your own until you come to the place where you say, Lord, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to rely on myself. I'm tired of doing these things myself. I rely upon you. Amen. Can you stand to your feet? I have a ton here that I want to share. A ton. And we'll save it for another day. I hope you've got something out of it. Everybody say, when God's will is found in the wind. Who is the wind? You didn't have to repeat that part. The wind is the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, it means breath. Say the Holy Spirit. The fourth reason God allows the storms and the winds in life is to direct you. It's to direct you. I know there's many people in here who need direction. Who do I marry? Where do you want me to live? What's my calling? What are you calling me to do? What friendships and associations should I have? Should I stay in this career? Do I make the change? Does anybody have those kind of questions or need the kind of direction in their life? Am I the only one? I want, I want you to note something in this, in this Bible verse. It's so profound. It's so profound. And I spent years, I spent years and years and years and years resisting the wind. And that's what I want to encourage everybody this morning is to not resist the Holy Spirit. It's the worst thing we can do as people is resist Him. And we resist Him as believers, Bible-believing believers. We resist the Holy Spirit. But he wants to just direct us. He doesn't send the wind to get us off course. He's trying to get us back on course. And what does God use when we can't hear him? Wind. Difficulty. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's some people who come up to me all the time. They say, well, the Lord hasn't told me that. And maybe the Lord hasn't, but in my back of my mind, sometimes I'm thinking, you're just not listening. And when we can't hear him, he has to use elements. People, hardship, pain. When you can't hear, he has to go to other measures. This is why I'm so desperate for this word. I don't, I don't want the Lord to have to use things. It's not a fear thing. It's not a fear thing. It's like, Lord, I, I want to hear. I want to follow the leadership of your Holy Spirit. You, you want to know why I'm like that? Because I've, I've had to have him send lots of wind and storms and pain and hardship and allow suffering in my life because that's what it does. It trains you in righteousness, the Bible says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. I'm going to read this last verse and minister for one moment. Can I do that? John chapter 6, verse 18 through 21. And then the sea arose because of the great wind that was blowing. 
And so when they had rode about two or three, excuse me, three or four miles, they saw Jesus. Are we able to put that verse? Yes. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing. He was drawing near the boat and they were afraid. And he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Everybody say, it is I. It's the Lord. And they willingly received him into the boat. Now watch this. Immediately the boat was at land where they were going. How profound. Now, now I, I'm a little bit of a movie buff still, but I struggle with this scripture because I was trying to figure out whether or not if it was like what you see on a movie, you know how like the next day the boat washed up on land eventually? Or was this like an immediate, like a suddenly, like upper room suddenly? Do you hear what I'm saying? Like was it supernatural? Like as soon as he stepped on the boat, they literally hit land? where they were supposed to be going, I believe that's what it was. Is that many of us right now are in the middle of that storm and we are resisting because we don't think the wind is the Lord. And and we, we think this difficulty and you keep resisting it. And you keep telling the Lord, when I get right, I'll let you back on this boat. You're not realizing that he is the wind. Thank you. And what does the wind do? I want you to picture him doing that to your life right now. And you're like, stop it. That, this is hard. This is difficult. You know how it's difficult? When it's challenging you. No, excuse me. You know when it's the Lord? If you're feeling challenged. If it's testing your faith. Because he's growing you. He's doing something in you. And what did they do? They invited it. Invited him in the boat. And what, I, what, I, what I'm challenging, encouraging every single one of you, I want you to picture whatever it is that you're going through. You don't have to close your eyes right now. I want you to lean into the wind, not fight against it. Lean into what God is doing in your life. Lean into the challenge. Lean into the hardship. And I want you to say this, though he slay me yet, will I trust him. The wind has a name. The wind has a name. His name is Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit sending these winds. It's the Holy Spirit allowing these troubles. It's the Holy Spirit who is allowing these pressures. Where you feel pressure, it just shows that you're still too much in control. You have to have it your way. Come on now, I feel like I'm, I'm speaking by the Spirit. When, we, when we, still, we, we feel that we have to control the matter, you know God doesn't have full reign in your life. Because the child of God lives with this specific posture. Surrender. Absolute surrender. If you just let go of the, the sail, if you just let go of the paddles, the wind will bring you where you're supposed to go. Stop resisting the wind of the Spirit. He's trying to bring, He's bringing you some, somewhere. And God often sends this troubling wind in your life to get your boat sailing in the right direction. So I want you to just lift your hands right now. Not going to be any praying and any laying on of hands. Not this morning. Not this morning. I want you to surrender to the wind of the Spirit. And I want you like like Peter did. 
I want you to, I want you to intentionally in this season of your life, in this storm, whatever your storm looks like, it could be in your business, there could be chaos, it could be in a marriage, it could be stress and anxiety, it could be fear, it could be some kind of torment, it could be lack of finances, it could be many things, but those issues are not your problem. The problem is, is we have to get our eyes on Jesus. I told you that Capernaum comfort is not a location, it's within. The kingdom, thank you Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is within. It's not here or there, it's righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. So just lift up your hands just for a moment as we close. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we surrender. Surrender is like repenting. We surrender to the will of God. We repent of trying to control the winds and go in our own direction. We surrender to you, Lord. We're just the sail and you are the wind. Holy Spirit, we submit to your will, to your plan to your agenda and we lay our agenda. I want you to do this in your heart. I want you to lay your agenda agenda at the master's feet right now. Just give it to him. Whatever it, it doesn't matter what it looks like as long as you get the results. That's what God is concerned with. You will get the results if you surrender and you lay it on the altar. Put my eyes on you. We put our eyes on you, Jesus. Surrender to the wind, the wind of your spirit, what you're calling us into. You're calling us into deeper fellowship with you, calling us into dependence upon you. We surrender. We look at you, Jesus. Put our eyes on you. We put our eyes on you. We put our eyes Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.